Hey, I'm Mitch Rogers. I'm Nathan Seal. And I am Will Small. And you're listening to Art of Conversation, episode 8. Is that what we're up to now? Yes. Wow. Episode 8. And finally, well, after all this time, we have Mitch Rogers <laughs> in the house. <laughs> Mitch has come prepared for this podcast yep. episode. He's bought at least three different kinds of liquids. Talk us through what you've what you got there, Mitch. I have my uh, my breakfast smoothie with me in my hand right now. It's I don't know how big that is. It's huge. Just describing it to the people out there. <clears throat> it's like a big It's like a stein. It's like a giant a stein. It's like a, like it's a good <laughs> term. <clears throat> it's a big blender cup. Um, almost full now. I've been drinking some and it's got some some goodies inside. Do you want me to talk about the goodies? Shall we talk about the goodies? Yeah, let's just do a quick, I'll um, be quick. Re- recipe. I'll be quick. Let's each share a smoothie recipe if we've got one. Great. I've got one. You've got one. Nathan may have one. Okay. I'll okay. go first. Give us I'll go first. Recipe. Um, my smoothie recipe is banana, strawberries, and blueberries, almond milk, um, some protein, and ice, and a little bit of honey. That's what we've gone on this morning. That sounds pretty good. Mm. Nathan, do you have a smoothie recipe? I would normally go for banana, milk, honey, and that's it. Basic, but but good. Effective. Yeah, don't need any of this other stuff. I start every day with Will and Noah's kick-ass smoothie, which has in it almond milk, banana, baby spinach, chia seeds, and this thing called cacao super spread, which oh. is like healthy Nutella. You've told me about that. It's amazing. Yeah. I usually have chia seeds when I run out, but spinach, I don't know. Banana's where it's at. I think the banana's like the key ingredient, and you want your banana nice and ripe. Yep. And that's where the sweetness comes from. But anyway, you got your smoothie. Yeah, I've got my coffee. You that, got your coffee. Yeah, pour over that I made at home myself. Put yeah. in a takeaway cup. I actually borrowed this takeaway cup from the Steel family. It's not mine. And I also have my standard one and a half liters of water. So. One and a half liters of water. This yeah. guy is a thirsty man. Yeah. And at some point during this podcast, he may be hitting the bathroom. <laughs> I was hoping not. <laughs> <laughs> this morning on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the idea of inclusivity and creating spaces where all people can be welcomed. And uh, this is partly inspired by a tattoo on Mitch's arm, (laughs) which says, All People. And uh, it's a great tattoo. We'll talk about that a bit later. But we're going to be talking about um, not just inclusivity, but when you're trying to create spaces that are inclusive of all people, what do you do if some people are actually working against that space? How do you have a space that welcomes all when some people are unwelcoming or awkward or uh, predators or you know all of those kind of things and then when you're trying to create a space that welcomes all kinds of people how do you balance that with taking care of yourself when some people are quite draining and exhausting so we're going to open up a can of worms Mm. and talk about what it looks like to be creating spaces of messy authentic multi-peopled community should be interesting should be very interesting controversial maybe we'll start with the lighter stuff up front Nathan, how about you kick us off today with the first review? So, I was going to do a review of a book that I have read previously. The book is coming out of the bag. I'm excited to see what it is. It is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the book. I've never read this, so I'm really keen to hear your review. Never read it? Well, overall, it's a great book. It's sci-fi, and it's also a bit kind of completely ridiculous in a comedy. So, you're Mm -hmm. just laughing the whole way reading it, essentially. Essentially laughing at how kind of strange it is, and that's that's what makes it fun to read. So is it good. anything like the movie Spaceballs? Because <laughs> that's what comes to my mind when I think of sci-fi and ridiculous comedy. I don't know if I've seen the movie Spaceballs. There is a movie for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, I've seen that. Which yeah, is also kind of okay, but it, it's not quite. It's like, it's it almost it almost gets it, but it's not quite as good. Yeah, it didn't make much sense to me, the movie. Yeah, the book the book's pretty similar. Is it, a lot of it just doesn't make much sense, but it makes it makes not very much sense in a really awesome way. <laughs> I feel like it is a literary classic that I and, need to read. Yeah, and I find it interesting as well because it's sort of like to some extent it's like just really shallow and ridiculous and just a fun read. But at the other at, in another sense, it's like you can read it and it makes you think about a lot of stuff. Like it it very explicitly asks questions like what is the meaning to life, the universe and everything? And then mm. it provides a ridiculous answer. But <laughs> I guess it then it still make it makes you think about deeper questions. And to some extent, I feel like the book is a bit of a reaction to looking out at the universe and existence and kind of seeing it as a bit strange and wacky. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm. So um, have you read it multiple times? No. 
I've read it once, but there, I've read a few more in the series as well. Which the I was other part of the series I didn't even oh, know. So there's there's okay. a few more in the series, but I would probably note that there are other ones in the series. Once you've read the first one, the others are a bit just more of the same. So if you like the first one, you can read the others, but you sort of already got the stuff, so it's all good. So uh, star rating, uh, four out of five stars. Four out of five stars. If you haven't read Hitchhiker's Guide oh. to the Galaxy, like me, now <coughs> is the time. That's a good review so far from what I've heard. In reviews, Nathan's not a... I haven't heard of four. Yeah, Nathan is not the most... I'm probably a very generous reviewer. Yeah. I've given high scores before. Last time I gave Lego a 4.5 out of 5. That's right. Okay. The review has been one of the things I'm like, oh, how do I review? Because these guys are very different. (laughs) They've reviewed the review. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I was at a dinner last night talking about every possible thing that could be reviewed. And, um, yeah, you know... Around the dinner table, I was amazed that there were some listeners to this podcast. Not that that's anything to be amazed about. I know there are there are millions of listeners out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were just talking about how you can review absolutely anything. And these days, like, there are YouTube channels of people that have, you know, millions of subscribers literally just for reviewing stuff. So, Mitch, the challenge has been set. What have, yep. you, what have you brought? <clears throat> okay, well, so today I'm reviewing... I don't know how to word this one. It's quite a... Quite a title, but it's, uh, I'm re- in short, I'm reviewing big families versus small families. Oh, so like what awesome. happens, what happens when you're in a house environment, um, on a weeknight or a weekend or whatever with a family versus like a big family or a small family. So I, I am an only child and I, I lived in, I, well, I don't live with my mum now, but I grew up with just my mum and me. So dinner time, TV time, family time at home is much different to what I've, Learnt from the Seal family. So Nathan's family is a family I often spend time around, and they are quite big compared to my, <laughs> you could say, compared to my upbringing. So, what's the average number of people there for dinner? Oh, easily on a, on a weeknight, maybe seven or eight. Yeah, if not extras, even more because they're a very open house. So, mm-hmm. two people compared to eight people is a, a pretty big change. That must be so, for you, just totally different. To what you grew up with. Oh, definitely. So, I, if my mum actually listens to this, I hope mum knows that I did. I love my upbringing. I love her. I love what she's provided well, for us. What are some of the good things about dinner in the small <clears throat> family context? Oh, yeah, because it's nice when it's just two people. You, you know, you get to have more of a conversation. But admittedly, like, by the time I was 12, I didn't want to watch the news with mum. <laughs> and um, we ended up having separate, like, kind of lounge rooms. Uh huh. Well, I would watch whatever I was wanted to watch, and Mum would watch her shows. Okay. And um, we would either have dinner together, or we end up eating in the lounge room. So that was a bit lazy of me. But you know, Mum, two people. You know, it's very you know, two of you get to hang out a lot more and talk more when you can, and that's all I really know, I guess, until now. Mm, mm. But it, you know, it was nice. She was always great at um, providing for us and caring for me, as well as working like full time. Mm. So. Yeah, but big family. Wow, it's really eye-opening. So I'm not. I guess I'm not rating them differently. I'm just talking about comparing the experiences. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, in a big family, I've been there for a fair few dinners now, and you know we always say grace, and that's something I really struggle to do when it's just me because I'm used to just being me. So Mm. I will be quite forgetful in that kind of concept of praying. It feels like grace is like designed for. For a community setting, doesn't it? It does. Like yeah. that so, kind of, it's a together around a meal table. Yeah. Place. So I don't really feel bad when I forget to do, to pray before my meals because it's like, well, it's just me. I mean, sure. God's with me, whatever. But like, I, I'm, it's just me. So like, yeah. I think it's very community based, the grace kind of prayer. And that's really nice. There's always multiple conversations happening, mm-hmm. which at first is hard for someone like me that grew up in like a two person household. But it's, it's actually really good because you get to hear from different people's days and experiences and hear other conversations what people are talking about. Um, well, I actually like, I've only having a few times, but I actually like cooking in this big family concept. So I've mm. cooked a few times at the seal house and, um, I love it. It's easy to cook for more people than it is to cook for a couple. Mm. You can make leftovers and that leftovers will definitely be eaten, but it's quite easy to make enough for those people with what you can buy from a shop or what they get, they get, um, what's it called? HelloFresh. HelloFresh. And HelloFresh for the family often is enough. Jeez, so, how many HelloFresh boxes do you guys need? You'd get like one a day. 
Uh, <laughs> well, usually it's the family-sized box, and we have the meals from that. Is it a massive we box? That. Well, is it like- so, so usually it's not really quite big enough, and you normally end up having to add a few extra things. Uh-huh. Sometimes, yeah, there's two meals being cooked. To make the adequate amount of food. Yeah, because my experience is in some ways similar. I have five siblings, so there was eight people around our meal table growing up, mum and dad and, and me and my five siblings. And, um, yeah, I think when when Sam started to come to family dinners at my house, um, she was uh-huh. like, oh, my goodness, it's so hard to get into the conversation. And we're mostly extroverts. I think if you're an introvert, it's probably challenging to come into, you know, a big family conversation. And, um, yeah, multiple conversations happening at once. It's hard to get, like, one flowing conversation when you've got yeah, that yeah. many people. But then it's interesting because... So we grew up around the dinner table. There was no TV dinner, you know, in our family. Like we're very much around the table every night. And then as I got older and my siblings moved out and it ended up just being mum and dad and me and my little brother. And then, you know, just my mum and dad and my little brother, you know, the TV became something that was, you know, more often used during dinner. And it's amazing. The more people you have, the more there's just big conversation, it seems often. Yeah. Uh, the less people you have it becomes easier to just go, oh, look, you know, we've, we've talked enough today. <laughs> let's, just, <laughs> yeah. let's just veg out yeah, for yeah. a bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think whether it's small or big, I, I love eating dinner with people. Well, I think experience it in the household has made a lot more sense of many other things. So when I first met some of the SEALs, so Nathan, Jess, and Beck, it was after a youth night one night here. We went to Macca's, and it, no one else was there yet. It was me and these three SEALs. And they were like all talking to me about three different things at once. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. But now, like, now I totally get it. Like, now that I've yes. seen the family. <clears throat> the other thing I really like is, um, like watching TV with a bigger family. So I admittedly, sorry, if you're listening, mum, I didn't like mum shows. So it was easy to quite disengage. <laughs> but when there's like one massive TV room and there's multiple people hanging out watching something, it's cool just being in that environment with a few people sharing in that time. And so like when Jess started doing aerial silks, um, if you don't know what that is, go back to episode seven. Oh, is that in episode seven? It is. I haven't heard that yet. All right. Cool. I need to listen to that one. <laughs> well, you don't. You know what Aerial Six is. I know what Aerial Six is, but I'm keen to listen to it. Anyway. Anyway. And I, um, I went, I hadn't actually visited her doing Aerial Six before and I didn't have growth group and I kind of asked her, she loves telling people this. I asked her if it would be okay if I stayed at her house while she went to Aerial Silks. Like if I stayed without her uh-huh. to watch TV with her dad and her brother. And she was like, oh, and I was just like, <laughs> anyway, it was really nice just to see. We watched, I think it was Hawaii Five-0. We watched that for a little bit with Nathan and um, with Graham. And it was pretty cool. And it was just a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice Sounds experience. Cool. Different yeah. to what I'm used to. So It is different. Like I, I remember growing up, and I don't know if Nathan has similar memories, but, you know, my family, there was a, a while where we were really into um, Lois and Clark, which is one of the old Superman oh, TV yeah. shows. I went back and watched it with my parents like a few years ago and it was so corny. But as a kid, it was like when we were all packed into the room, there's not enough spaces on the lounges for everybody, but we all like it's, it's Lois and Clark night. Like it was the best thing to do. It's a different experience to watching TV by yourself um, or even just, you know, with, with your partner. Like when you've got a big room kind of adds this sort of, I don't know, there's a different magic about it. Yeah. What do you, what do you reckon, Nathan? You've, you've really only known your, experience of growing up around your family table what do you think of the the big family dinner experience tv watching experience it's normally fine but there's a lot of variance within that as well because we definitely don't always have dinner around the table all at the same time together it it can be a combination of sometimes there'll be eight or ten people at the table almost and it'll be everyone eating at the same time but then other other nights no one's home at dinner time anyway. So mm. dinner's more like three people have dinner at one point in time, two people have dinner like an hour later, and then someone else comes home at like nine o'clock at night and they'll yeah. eat whatever happens to be That's left true. at that I, point in time. I, 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 didn't give a full pitch. I didn't give a full picture of it, sorry, yeah. But like oh, when yeah. I first went to see it, was, it was two different sittings for dinner. And I was like, what's this? Yeah. Two different sittings. Like, even that is a sign of a big family. I'm like, what? Yeah, well, it gives me but, massive respect for, for parents in those situations. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's just so many people that 
and until they're a certain age, you have a certain amount of responsibility for all those mouths getting fed. Mm-hmm. And that expectation continues. Like I was, you know, 21 and living out of home and still had the expectation that if I walked through my mum and dad's front door, there would be some sort of food for me, which is an unreasonable expectation probably. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's just, you know, like for parents in those situations, you know, it's like this, okay, I always have to be ready to feed this many people and the hours within which they're going to want food is going to vary and... It sounds stressful as. Yeah. <laughs> so, what would you rate? Uh, well, this is party. small family, big family. Can you put a star rating on it? Or? Yeah, I, this is what I'd be nervous about. I would say I would rate the big family experience from my perspective as a probably a four out of five. Yeah, uh-huh. it's quite high compared to some of the things I've heard here. But that's yeah, I'm quite generous with my. I reckon rate. if you if you end up, you know, let's just say in the future you end up having a bunch of kidlets. Mm-hmm. Um, the big family dinner experience is not always as glamorous as it may appear. <laughs> you know, that's there's potential for big, big fights and food throwing and everything you can imagine. But oh, yeah, but there's also it's when it's awesome, it's awesome. So four out of five. Four out of five. Well, my review is also food related, oh, awesome. and last night I went to an establishment that has a an all you can eat Tuesday night deal. And um, without naming the establishment, it is all-you-can-eat ribs and chicken schnitzel. And so, basically, you get a big plate of meat and chips. There is no salad. There is no vegetables. Um, and, and because people have abused the all-you-can-eat system, they have some very strict rules in place at this establishment. And you have to finish your plate and then you can ask for more and there's no sharing with anyone around you. And if, if, you know, you share and you get spotted sharing, you're in trouble. So they've got sort of strict things around it. But, but I'm reviewing just in general, the concept of an all you can eat meal. You know, I grew up going mm. to Sizzler and, uh, Sizzler, you know, yes. every now and again it was a special treat. But when we went to Sizzler as a family, that was like the best thing ever. But all you can eat, right? Here's, here's my review of it. So all you can eat meals seem amazing in theory. There's very low chance of being hungry when you leave, <laughs> there's very low chance of feeling like you want anything else. <laughs> You're going to go home full. On the other hand, there is very high chance of um, food wastage because like last night, you know, you finish one plate and you go, yeah, I could have a little bit more because I'm, you know, eligible to it. So they bring you out another full plate and suddenly you're like, oh, man, I can't, you know, my eyes were bigger than my, my stomach. Um, so there's a lot of food wastage that, that would happen. There's also very high chance of gluttony. <laughs> there's, there is, you know, almost this feeling you just have to keep eating more because you want to get your value for money or whatever, which is crazy because you've already eaten like three people's amount of food. Do you think that's a Western thing? Yeah, probably. It's crazy. Yeah. And, it probably some countries look at it and go, "This is appalling that you yeah, can eat yeah. that much when when there are people that don't have, don't even have the bare minimum of what they would want to eat." And then what I find is anything like that where you get focused on the next plate, you kind of spend a lot of your time thinking about, "Oh, can I fit in the next plate?" It's almost like you don't enjoy the current plate or the current mouthful. And I found myself while I was eating my first plate, I'm constantly like weighing up, oh, how's my endurance going? Like, do I have in me what I need for the second plate? It sounds like you're off from a battle. <laughs> yeah, it's like a battle. Like it's a man versus food or woman versus food. It's like this, this Oh, you challenge. can eat. It, it is, it's always a challenge. It's, you've got to see how much you can eat just for the sake of it. Yeah, I think it's fundamentally flawed. Mm. I love the idea of it. I get super excited. All you can eat. I'm obviously like, oh, man, that sounds amazing. All I can eat. Because... You know, you don't want the other experience of having, you know, you pay for a meal and you're still hungry afterwards. Um, but all you can eat just seems like unless you're an incredibly self-controlled person, you're going to walk away feeling very heavy, needing to hit a loo pretty hard. <laughs> and um, and you're going to have eaten more than is probably good for you. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's obviously a great thing to do socially Good, good in a group, uh, but I think that it, even though I love it, even though I'm drawn to it, I think it brings out the worst in me. 
It brings out greed. It brings out gluttony. It brings out, you know, potential for food wastage. Uh, it stops me from being present with the current mouthful. Um, it becomes less about quality. You know, I don't think it's like the greatest meal ever. It's just there's a lot of food. Um, so I'm going to rate all you can eat as a, as a three out of five. Yeah. It's really interesting because it is very, I think it's a very Western thing. And it's like so shocking. But then like this part of me is like, if I got invited to an all you can eat like over the next week or so, I'd be like, yes. You'd be there. I'm hitting it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like oh, totally. Like it's interesting. Isn't that weird? And you know, like yeah. you know that it's going to be sickening. Sickening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you still want to do it. Yeah. You don't have to eat heaps. Yeah. Well, that's the thing though. You don't have to, but it feels like you're going to. Mm. Like, can you imagine going to an all you can eat thing and not eating all you can eat, kind of going, oh, I still got a bit of room, but I've probably had enough. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that, which I think is probably a good way. I actually think it's good to finish a meal and go, you know what? I'm satisfied. I'm not crazy full, but I'm satisfied. I think sometimes that's the best way to finish a meal, but I can't imagine leaving all you can eat feeling just satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> I probably have some different experience with all you can eat due to for a period of time working at large tech company that effectively you get or you can eat lunch every single day of the week oh yeah um that sounds amazing so <laughs> i feel like when you get all you can eat every single day you probably don't pig out as much yeah, on it as you might true. otherwise you normally sort of get your plate of food and you're just kind of happy with that and that's that's fine yeah it's different if you can have all you can eat but if i go all you all can eat like out with friends or something then it's like yeah gotta smash it all down oh yeah smash it all down and then they have crazy food challenges, like this same place, you know, has a, you can get like a kilo of chicken and, you know, a liter of beer and like a huge amount of chips. And if you eat it all in like an hour, you don't have to pay. <laughs> yeah. If you throw up, you have to pay a cleaning fee as well wow. as, you know, all the food. It's just food challenges, like probably a very Western thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I guess we just, they're culturally acceptable to us. But to some people, this would seem horrendous. And yeah. it's probably always important to kind of remember, you know, this is this is a pretty pretty crazy thing that for us it's just a novelty yeah. rather than some crazy privilege. Mitch, what have you been learning about lately? Yeah, well, so I've been learning about what it is to be a firefighter. That's hey. what I've been learning about lately. Uh, a retained firefighter, I should clarify for those listening. Um a retained firefighter is one that is retained. <laughs> in short, also you're on call as part time. You're not you're not full time. But in saying that, you will receive phone calls twenty four seven, whether you're available or not, sort of thing. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's quite interesting. So, What's the expectation <laughs> if you receive a phone call? Do you have to say yes? You kind of there's a system online where you mark yourself available or not. So if you receive the phone call and you're not available, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I think it's different in each station. So where I'm at, they, um, you know, you, you respond via the phone and you get there as quick as you can. But mm. sometimes a phone call is just like a pager. So it's just paging you, letting you know more than anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to answer. You, well, I mean, they're very great at being clear that, you know, you don't throw your life to the side for this. You don't risk other, your other job or, you know, mm. forget about your other job. This is like, even though there is pay, pay or whatever, you look at this as a volunteer thing, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's very much that's great because it puts a very community focus mm-hmm. on it all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you'd want to aim. There's like a percentage you want. You'd want to aim for about thirty three percent of the week calls you'd want to try and get to. But mm-hmm. to be honest, I want to get to as many as I can. Like yeah. so that's not an issue. Like, um, yeah, but it's very interesting. So for retained firefighting, they condense the thirteen weeks of full time training. Mm. into eight days, two blocks of four days. Wow. Like everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did, almost a month ago I did phase one, they call mm-hmm. it. And, um, yeah, it was four days of training. And I, when I started I was very much – I had no idea about anything. Other than the pre-course kind of assessment I looked at that week, mm. I had no idea what was going to happen going in. And then you leave four days later very – aware of the risks and all the different settings that you'll be working in and aware of mm. things. And you also have very practical physical tools on how you do the job wow. within four days. So it's really, wow. cause yeah. it's, it's pretty much 10 hour days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty cool. You, 
I traveled to Armandale and, um, you know, that's all paid for. Mm-hmm. Accommodations all paid for, meals all paid for, breakfasts and dinners. It's like quite the good deal, but mm. they are long days. Mm. So, mm. And I mean, you're, you're signing up for, you know, some, some risky potential opportunity there. So, yeah. you know, it's a good thing that you get good training and you get taken care of while you're going through that because it's um we want our, our firefighters to be well trained or trained oh definitely of course so <laughs> you'd hope so <laughs> so they they very strong focus have a very strong focus on shaving you need to shave every day oh man so i'm out already you and nathan would be out <laughs> but i thought that why? was why is that is, is a beard flammable it's funny you ask that because when i first said i had to shave when i was reading about it before going there i thought it was just you know presenting how you have to present yourself being presentable yeah no facial hair no piercing so that means i take my nose study out every time i go to the uh-huh. station uh-huh. clean cut hair yeah so it actually turns out though if you have facial hair so when you're wearing the self-containing breathing apparatus mm. what we wear that's what we wear when we go into into situations with hazardous material in the air mm. fire smoke whatever it may be it seals to your face Mm-hmm. So if you have facial hair, it actually breaks the seal, mm. and that can lead to the toxins and smokes wow. going into your breathing, which is so it's quite a safety, dangerous. It's a safety thing. It's a safety thing. Yeah, it's not only about how you look, but it's also about. So the sacrifice that our firefighters make yep. has just, in my mind, gone <laughs> gone through the roof. They're not just sacrificing, you know, their safety. Uh, they're sacrificing their potential good looks. Yes. I mean, the, the, obviously, the calendars with firefighters on them are still incredibly popular. But imagine, <laughs> imagine if they could have beards as well. Beards. <laughs> well I don't know, yeah. I don't think everyone can rock the beard, though. But that's another. Well, no, neither does Liesl Burden. Oh, really? I, I need to listen to that one as well. There's a couple I'm behind on. I'll listen to that one. Why can't they just wear, like, space helmet type things instead so that, like, seals around their neck or well, something? You do wear, like, a, a flash hood, but that goes on after the breathing apparatus so is that just like a is job. that just a descriptive word they're like it's a real flash hood no no yeah, I, it's think real it's, fancy. I think it has to do i should know this but i don't <laughs> but i think it has to do with what it's defined for because it leaves you with only like your eyes and your yeah. nose sort of thing yeah. it covers everything yeah. i think it's very useful for like bushfires and it's very good at protecting your neck and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah so it's been quite interesting I, there's a few things i've learned about so they put you in a Part of the training, they, they show you what happens in a fire. But mm. It's very controlled, but they they simulate a fire and let it just do its thing in like wow. a, a shipping container. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So what happens is it, it does this thing called flashover, which happens in every kind of house fire. Mm. And you have this layer of smoke slowly come down as the fire happens. Mm. You'll see, if you look it up, there's educational videos about it on wow. YouTube or yeah, yeah. even Facebook, I guess, the fire and rescue stuff. And it'll it'll come down. It starts off very wispy, but then it gets very dark and deep. But the flashover stuff is actually almost more dangerous than the fire. Mm. You can quite contain the fire, right, if you're in there already. But in the flashover, you there's like electrical current. There's little bits of flame happening. So the fire could wow. be down the end of this room. Not that anyone on the podcast can see it. Yeah, yeah. In that corner of the room. But you will see as it gets hotter and hotter. Like mm. very high temperatures, mm. you will see parts of the flame flicker. And if wow! You, if you actually, a lot of the firework is on controlling that above you, not the fire. Is, not only the fire, so it's quite full on. Because if you light that, mm. that's Man. Over, like it's pretty crazy. That was, was that confronting to see? Yeah, it was interesting. Very I, nothing, stuff that I never knew about. And there's other stuff like that, like pyrolysis. I think I said that right. So the fire could be in the corner of the room, but over mm. in this corner of the room, there could be like a piece of furniture starting to smoke up. Wow. And it just tells you how much isn't actually in the air. It's not just in that fire. Wow. It's actually the whole environment is yep. quite dangerous. Yep. That's fascinating. Yeah. Do you feel like this leads firefighters to kind of, because fire, you know, is this thing, which is this mix of like fascinating and then Dead. terrifying. Yeah. And um, Pastor Craig was talking about this the other week, actually. He's talking about, you know, like in the Bible, God's holiness is kind of described like fire, which is both terrifying as well as like mesmerizing. Well, yeah. When, um, when and you... it has this purifying effect, you know, like, mm. you know, fire like wipes out so much stuff and, and leaves behind, you know, like in, in gold, for example, gold is refined by fire. Yeah. And all of the impure elements are 
are kind of burnt away. But do you think that, like, do firefighters still view fire as, like, fascinating, mesmerizing, beautiful, as well as terrifying? Or does it, if you're seeing it in these kind of destructive environments all the time, do you think there's kind of, like, just a sense that, man, we, you know, fire is is just destructive or is just too dangerous? Or, or does it actually make people better at, at kind of taming and knowing how to how to use fire well? It's funny that you say that because when Craig was preaching about it, I was thinking about all these things. So I was like... Yeah. Because it's... Yeah, it's definitely beautiful and fascinating still, I think. But I think I'm more on that it's very dangerous side mm. now. Mm. But also beautiful. So it's still beautiful. And I think that it does help you learn how to deal with fire and how to use it and when to use it sort of a lot more, you know, like I think like would it, would a fire, I mean, this is fascinating. This says so many things it raises for me because yeah. I'm like, would a fireman or woman at the end of the day want to go home and sit by a fireplace in their, in their house yeah. or would that actually be like in a way, like that's a symbol of everything I want to get away from when I'm, you know, at home and safe. Yeah. You know? like, uh, I think, I have wondered about this too. So I haven't been into, I've only been out on a few calls and so far, none of them in fires. Mm-hmm. I'm not yet sure how I feel about that, but I do remember looking at, there was, I think uh, there was a little bonfire just after I started the job. And I remember just sitting there thinking, this is weird that we just play with this, but this is something that destroys so many homes. Yeah, wow. Different mm-hmm. setting, different mm-hmm. type of fire. And it's like fires can range in what starts them and what's controlling them as well. So you can't get rid of them the same way. So mm. it's very there's very different ranges of fire, and I guess but it, it does, does make you wonder when you're looking at it. Like it's also relaxing. I yeah. like, still love a bonfire. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I haven't been to a house fire, so it's crazy, right? Because it's also like it's essential. Like we couldn't do life without fire. No, yeah. you know it's warmth and it's it's cooking and it's like so many things that we need. But I think it's how what we do with it. That's yeah. the big. It probably ultimately, and I guess for me, it's totally connected to how we should approach God. Mm. Because there's this sense of like, wow, like, you know, this thing is relaxing and beautiful and provides life, but I always need to kind of know that next to it, I am small yeah. and it is powerful and it should lead me to be humble and respectful mm-hmm. when I approach it. I think back to certain people I used to hang out with in high school who <laughs> we played some pretty crazy games in car parks late at night with fire. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that happened a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, right? Think yeah. About that. Are you, what about you, Nathan? You're a fire fan? I'm a fan of fire. I don't know. I think sitting around a fire is just like just such a nice thing to do with people. But yeah, I always do think it's like it is that balance between it's just really nice and pleasant, but at the same time, it's got so much destructive potential. Mm. I feel like that's kind of what makes it interesting as well, though. The like yeah. balance between it's going to kill you and it's nice and warm. Yeah. Wow, mm. there's a lot to think about there. Yeah, a lot of it is the kitchen. But also, what, stuff in your bedroom is also what you put in your bedrooms, What, what, how much, the stuff you buy, the sort of material and your mattress, everything is um, dangerous. But mm. the big thing this year is keep looking when cooking. Keep looking when cooking. Yeah. So, like, don't step away from a you – know, mm. I mean, we all do that, though. Mm. <laughs> I've done it before. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a, I think that it's crazy how quickly it can build. Anyway, it's it's really interesting, the training. I've got mm. another four days mm. coming up soon, which is a lot more to do with, um, you know, life support and mm. and hazardous materials and so MVAs, like motor vehicle accidents and stuff mm. like that. I'm really looking forward to it. It's quite interesting. Um, I, th- I think I they showed a lot of real footage uh, and what happens if the smoke, if you don't have the breathing apparatus and mm. it's quite mm. scary, like mm. how damaging it is. Like it's yeah, really well. dangerous. Yeah. So I would just suggest anyone that is out there, <laughs> um, definitely get a know, breathing apparatus. Just leave it next to your bed while you sleep. No, no, probably don't do that. That's quite next level. Probably expensive, but <laughs> you know, stop, drop, cover, roll, get out of there, call emergency. Don't be hanging around inside. Um, you know, definitely get people out, but don't worry about your goods too much because, like, it's you might suffer very deeply mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting. So, uh, another thing is, like, backdraft. Have you guys heard of backdraft? No. So, it's another thing with fire. And, and it's more so in America than in Australia. But often, people will try to find a way to ventilate the fire. They think that's going to solve the problem if they get some air into the house. Right. You know. Um, right. Yeah, crazy. I don't know. It doesn't happen in Australia. But it's a thing. They cut open the roof in other countries. 
And they think wouldn't that's that going like, to help take away from... Wouldn't that feed the fire and make it well, like... Well, I think the thinking is they make a hole in the roof and then the fire goes up more. So it allows them to get in and get it done, get rid of it. Right. But you want it's more so you need to suffocate it. It's, it, is a, you know, it is a method that people actually use. And if you do it right, it, apparently it's effective. But we don't do that in Australia. It's quite dangerous. Mm. The backdraft is quite dangerous. Mm. Blows out all the windows, everything. is. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing no with us about the journey that you're on. Yeah, don't and, quote uh, me. I'm still learning, and I need to probably refine on what I know. But yeah, yeah. But I love it. We're grateful. For he people needs, like you. He needs to go through a refining fire. Yeah, <laughs> funny. Nathan, what have you been? You been learning about something that I just started learning a little bit about a day or two ago. I don't know how much I'm going to keep on going with it, so don't ask me about it too much in like two weeks time. <laughs> but I I was looking into learning about some machine learning algorithms and stuff with computers mm. so that's like instead of writing a software directly you sort of provide input cases and then you can train the computer to then be able to do whatever you want it to do again later on with new data so it's kind of an interesting aspect of so how do you do that science. like as in are you are you training um, the computer through code or through so mostly you provide lots of sample data Uh so i i only just started learning it so i'm going through a course that's like one of those massive online courses thing so it's like through coursera or something yeah yeah so it's just a machine learning course and i haven't done much of it already but i do know a few things about machine learning already anyway Mm. so effectively a lot of what you end up doing is you have lots of data that you've you've already got the correct answers for kind of thing so Mm -hmm. Say you're doing an image recognition algorithm for um, recognizing handwriting or something. Mm-hmm. You'll have lots of sample images and what is written on them, like correctly mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And you kind of feed that correct information into the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And then it learns the patterns mm-hmm. in the correctly tagged data. So that then when you feed it in new unseen before images, it can make a good guess of what's in them. Wow. Teaching the machine. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Sounds like it's kind of almost bordering on some AI stuff. <laughs> well, it is used for AI. So yeah. That's next I, know. Level. I just like, you, you just need buzzwords. So it's like, you just say like, oh, I just use like a convolutional neural network. And <laughs> I'll remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just use conv- convolutional neural network. Yeah. That does sound cool. That's a solve problem. That's either, that's either going to kill the conversation or make people think that you are incredible this is like over my head it's like yeah it's pretty awesome it's interesting because it's sort of like ai and stuff is kind of a bit of a research area of computer science at the moment so Mm. it's it's interesting to look at technically i'm not i'm actually not personally super into ai in that i'm a bit of like an ai pessimist in that i feel like a lot of the time people are a little bit too optimistic about Mm -hmm. ai is going to being able to create like fully artificial intelligence Although I do think that you can definitely make some very interesting algorithms and mm. replace a lot of jobs, which would be great. Some people might not like that. At least Will should be safe. I think I looked at a list of like... <laughs> Imagine that, AI pastors. <laughs> I think I saw a list of what jobs are most or least likely to be replaced by computers in the future. And I think pastor was the least likely to be replaced by what a computer. poets? You could have an AI poet. Yes. Yeah. Like, creative is AI though. Like it's creative is the same creative as... Well, there's, there's a lot of questions there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, if you want some viewing, yeah. iRobot explores that question. That is an interesting movie. I need to watch that again. Because, I don't know, all poetry is is putting some words together. Making wow. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Destroyed. Yeah, well, like, all pastoring is. is they already have AI together. together and patting people on the back here and there. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that is a huge question. If you're just writing the words, maybe that'd be that'd probably be easier than the the experience of listening to a human. Arranging language certainly could be done. To me, I think the potential gap in artificial intelligence is the reason why it, it's hard to conceive of an artificially intelligent pastor is empathy. Empathy is probably like mm. the thing that you can't imagine a machine being empathetic, and yet I think to good poetry, empathy is essential. So. Whether or not you can rearrange words that create poems is one thing, but whether or not you can create words that describe 
the deepest questions, longings, desires, and, you know, empathetic feelings of being human? That yeah. is another question. I think, I think we often think AI is the most amazing thing and it's going to solve so many problems and, you know, in those, you know, there's movies and books that talk about AI solving so many human flaws and AI getting rid of humans because they are so flawed. But, <laughs> yeah. like, I think that, yeah, we're flawed, but I think God created us in his image for a reason. I think that mm. we're cre- created for a reason. And um, part of our life and showing the balance of living with God is dealing with those flaws yet still remaining with God and in rhythm. Mm. I, think, I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that the AI doesn't have. Yeah. But who am I? Well, I, I'll share what I've been learning, just a, just a brief one, um, kind of just like a cool little party fact. <laughs> when, I was, when I was at All You Can Eat last night, just gouging myself, uh, the conversation, uh, we, were, we were at a birthday gathering, and um, someone raised the fact that the happy birthday um, song isn't in any movies because it's, it's not in the public domain. And I was like, what? And they were like, you know, think about movies. And often if there's their song, Happy Birthday, being sung in a movie, they'll trick you. And the scene will start with like the last couple of words, you know, to you, blow out the candles. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I've seen Happy Birthday in heaps of movies. Yeah. But it was owned. The rights to Happy Birthday were owned until very recently. And it was only in uh, 2015 that a court case was raised. Um, basically suggesting that really what was owned was a particular piano arrangement, not the lyrics and the oh, melody. Wow. And so as of last year, 2016, Happy Birthday <laughs> is now in the public domain. There you go. Yeah, that Which, ownership was kind of very contentious because it was sort of the type of thing where lots of people would look at the situation and be like, yeah, we're pretty sure Happy Birthday should probably be in the public domain. Copyright is an interesting thing that we could talk about one day. Yes. The way that it ends up working is it's like, well, there's some large company that pretends they own the copyright for Happy Birthday, whatever their claim is. But so then people that try and use it, will they just send them like a copyright violation letter and say, please pay us money or we'll sue you. And the thing is, it turns out that most people just go, uh, we can be bothered going through the court system. So we just won't use Happy Birthday or we just pay you the money because it's cheaper than going through court. So yeah, they sort of they sort of held on to their copyright for it for a lot longer than maybe they should have. But. I thought it was crazy for me. The big learning it was kind of funny because I learnt that it had been owned, and I was like, "What? Yeah. Like, surely that's just in the public domain?" But then, you know, doing a quick Google search, I learnt that my initial impulse that it should be in the public domain is now correct, but only as of very recently. The thing was, it was something that hadn't really been tested in court. Yeah, okay. So it was, it was, there was a company that was claiming that they had copyright for it, mm-hmm. but they might not have actually had copyright for it. Yeah, well, they had copyright for a particular piano arrangement, yeah. but not for the lyrics and the melody. So <laughs> humanity's been breaching copyright for a long time. But happy birthday. Well, well, a lot of people haven't. A lot of people have chosen not to use it. Not to use it, yeah, yeah. But yeah. those that do use it, like all of us now family celebrations yeah although that's different because when you use it <laughs> yeah. in a family celebration yeah. you're not like making money off. yeah true very true so let's let's um talk about this concept of inclusivity i know this is something that for you mitch is very important for me it's very important for me when i think about what it means to be a pastor i think a big part of that is creating spaces where all kinds of people feel welcome but that does create some tensions, right? Like when you're welcoming all people, you're welcoming all kinds of people that have all kinds of issues that might actually be counterproductive to the kind of environment that you want to create. So that's one thing. And then the other side of it is kind of what, what you raised, Mitch, uh, initially when we started to talk about this, which is how do you be somebody who loves and cares for all people, including you know particularly difficult or vulnerable people? Mm and yet not neglect yourself in the yeah. process? How do you balance self-care with other care? Yeah, I think it's a very strained kind of area. Nathan, I'm going to just kick over to you to begin with here. What do you think about the concept of creating spaces that are welcoming for all people? Don't do it. Just get rid of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> people tend to feel more included when other people are being excluded, generally. Mm. Like, if you sort of 
if you just sort of invite everyone to something, then no one feels particularly invited. Whereas if you invite one person to something, then they're more likely mm. to feel like they were really invited that is to that thing. Tension, yeah. So it's almost like you don't actually feel included unless your inclusion has, has been selective, which means that somebody else hasn't been included. Yeah. Because you want to get that personal invite. Well, I was thought of. I was invited. That that makes you feel really included, but potentially it's built on like this, not everyone is. Quite interesting, isn't it? In terms of Jesus, mm. I think it's all people. Mm. And it's still very personal. But when it comes mm. to humans trying to do the same thing, if you invite everyone, mm. for some reason, we I, I hear what Nathan's saying too, you don't, it doesn't feel as personal. So I don't know what that's about. Really. So let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Yep. So, without getting into who te- too deep of a theological, no, but like so, but yeah, yeah. So the yeah, we see Jesus repeatedly expand inclusion. There's these there's these categories of who's in and who's out. Yeah, and Jesus constantly says, whoever everyone else thought was out is in. The Samaritan is in. The woman. Like women are in. Everyone thought women were out. Jesus, like women are in. Samaritans are in. You know, he's constantly like lepers are in. Tax collectors. Tax collectors are in. Is there anyone that Jesus does his inclusivity exclude anyone? Oh, it's a tough question. I don't think I don't think he excludes anyone. But I think that the preconceived notions and pride and thinking of some people excludes them. So it's people exclude themselves in a way, like in terms of Jesus, maybe I'm not about about humans, but in terms of mm. Jesus, like I think if you a lot of the Jewish leaders, were the, you know, they couldn't get on the same page as Jesus, and that, and then some way they kind of excluded them. Mm. Jesus was very still welcoming of them mm. because it, it challenged their thinking and and the things that they had put in place as themselves as the leaders of the area and of their people. Mm. Because they didn't want to go of that, that kind of pulled them away. But that's very different to us trying to cultivate inclusion, I think. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because what it makes me think about is Jesus was radically inclusive. Like, mm. there's no doubt about oh, that. 100%. He was radically inclusive. But at the same time, he was also, his inclusivity was built on protecting the vulnerable. And protecting the vulnerable necessarily meant he was confronting certain behaviors that actually were incompatible. With yes. inclusivity. Yeah. So he was saying, uh, like, I'm going to include the marginalized people, which means the power structures that would continue to marginalize must be excluded yeah. in a way. Like, so it's almost like you can come in as long as you come in humbly. Yeah. If you're proud and if pride is your, you know, your dominating characteristic, then you're actually choosing exclusion. Yeah, like, you yeah. wouldn't want to be here. That's sort of what I, like, if you, if we actually, set up community the way that Jesus did so that it was filled with people on the fringe, then there'd be a whole bunch of people that would self-exclude because they wouldn't want to be around those people. Yeah. So they'd, they'd technically be welcome. Like, of course, the Pharisees, you're welcome, but you probably don't want to be here yeah. <laughs> because this place is built on valuing the marginalised. You know, for me, I think about the concept of the kingdom of God or, or heaven, you know, kingdom of heaven, and this idea that a lot of us wouldn't enjoy it yet. Like, if you don't like hanging around with people that are really different to you, then you're probably not going to enjoy hanging out with the ragtag family that God is creating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. you're going to self-exclude in a way, like, if you're not ready. What do you think about all that, Nathan? Jesus did have, he did have a little bit of, like, an inner circle exclusive stuff. Like, there was the 12, mm. and there was, like, Peter, James, and John, the three, who, like, they did slightly different things, like when Jesus went up onto the mountain and did that transfigure thing. Mm. Not every... It's, it's kind of like, even though he was, like, radically inclusive of kind of everyone in the crowds, at he's the same time... He was selective. He still was selective and, at times, chose to focus on a few people, and at other times he would just feed like a massive crowd of 5,000 and be like just everyone. And even then at other times he would just focus on isolation. Mm. Solitude. Solitude. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think even if you're like guided by inclusivity, if you never 
if you're never selective, then you lose the power of, of what you're trying to do because those 12 that were invested in by Jesus only became who they were because they got so much input, which he couldn't give. You know, he couldn't have um, impacted 5,000 lives in the same way that he impacted those 12 and trying to do so would have been counterproductive. It's, it's kind of like church and growth groups. Yeah. Church is great. There's great benefits of church on a Sunday, but sometimes you can talk it out and get them more through the needed gritty in a smaller group and a growth group. Mm. But that doesn't mean neither is bad. It's just the setting, the time, and the yeah. place. Yeah. And it's acknowledging that we're limited. Uh, it's almost like saying, I could include anyone in the 12, but I recognize that I can't give myself well to more than 12. Yeah. So who the 12 are, they could be anyone. But I can't, I can't actually give my best to more than that number or whatever number we're talking about. So it's, yeah, sort of a complicated balance. Yes. So what do you think it means to have like an inclusive event where you include everyone? Like how do you go about doing that? Well, it's interesting. I think like right now about my other context and uh, running the lounge room in Gosford, which is a space which currently doesn't have disabled access. And so we've been working hard to get a plan together and to get approval and to get funding to, to make the space accessible. So that's kind of happening, which is really exciting. But it's made me think that I very, well, I never, I never come into a building and look at it through the perspective of what it would be like if I was blind or if I was in a wheelchair, or if I was socially anxious, or if yeah. I was, you know, any of these things. And I think to be inclusive in an event is planning your event, thinking about all of those kinds of people. Like, what would this be like for a child? What would this be like for a senior? Um, and it's hard because there's almost no limit to how many different kinds of people you could think of. You know, what would this be like for someone who's, yeah, got a, a severe mental health illness or um, what would this be like for someone who's only ever had, you know, I think with church, like what would church be like if you're someone who's experienced severe spiritual abuse and trauma? And how does that person then become integrated into a church? Even if this church isn't displaying the same behavior, you know, for them, they bring, they bring all of that. So it's very, it's very difficult, mm. but I think it's, it's having conversations like this, which is the beginning of trying to view spaces, not just through your own eyes. Yeah. What do you think, Mitch? I know that you're you're very passionate about this and you have a, a real heart for these kind of spaces. Oh yeah, I'm very passionate about this. I'm also very passionate about self care and I think it's a really um a challenging kind of dynamic. Like mm. you don't wanna you don't wanna offend people or make people feel excluded. So you wanna have I think environment is inclusive and welcoming of all people and of all people's settings and, and whatever they bring with them. I think that's so important. Mm. I think that um why? I think that's what Jesus was like. I think Jesus was accepting of people no matter what state they're in, whether they had, had loss, whether mm. they were struggling with things, whether they had made mistakes, whether they were... So the only reason to include all people is because that was what Jesus was like. I don't know. I think that also... Why do you think Jesus did that? <laughs> Genuine question. Why strange. do you think Jesus included all those people? Because he loves all of them. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they all have a potential. They all have a purpose. They all mm. have worth. In mm. God's eyes. They all they all have the divine image yeah. stamped on them. Yeah. I think also when you're excluded, it's pretty horrible sometimes. Mm. It can be pretty horrible. Mm. And I think that, yeah, church is in that place where you've got to try and facilitate where you place, a place where people are genuine and open and vulnerable and can be themselves, but still and being exclusive at the same time. I just think that sometimes that, it's a balance. I don't, I don't know. I struggle with this one a lot. So if you ask about all people, so the tattoo actually isn't necessarily about environments. Mm. It's more about the fact that I think that if we're not careful, or at least I know this from my own walk as a Christian, you can uh, get to a place where you only associate with Christians. Mm. And so at Narara, we're very focused in going into your field, and I think that's great. I think that ties mm. in very well with all people. Mm. So Paul was very much... I've become all things to all people. Mm. And so that doesn't mean that he succumbed to peer pressure or to things of the world that aren't of Jesus, but he mm. 
at least went into different fields and environments and learnt of their life and yeah, kind of I guess contextualized and was with those people. And mm, I think that mm. going to our fields is all about is about being you know thinking of all people and trying to interact with all yeah. people. And, I always think about how Jesus was accused and it's like a lot of people are surprised when they hear this particularly people who have only ever had a negative church experience or have a negative view of church they're surprised to find out that jesus was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton Mm. like basically jesus was accused of being a party animal yeah and whether or not he was a drunkard and a glutton is not the point the point is for people to accuse him of that he was getting invited to places where that's what it would have looked like. So I often think, am I living a life where I'm getting invited to the kind of places that highly religious people would be questionable of? You know, does that make sense? Like, are people looking at my life and going, wait a second, why is Will hanging out with those people in that place? And my behavior there might be totally upright, but for whatever, you know, I've been invited like, that's the big thing. These guys felt that Jesus wasn't going to end the party. Jesus wasn't going to judge them. Jesus wasn't going to totally ruin their fun. They actually wanted him there. Yeah. He could have been teetotaling. He could have been very, you know, like sober and sensible. But for whatever reason, they felt like this guy's actually going to accept us yeah. where we are. I think a big part of it, you know, I think with with events or with church or any of this thing, something I've learned is that, being inclusive is about not making assumptions about other people. We often assume, you know, I've brought friends to church that don't don't believe, and then f- sometimes someone will ask them, like, first question will be, oh, so which church are you from, or where do you normally worship? Yeah. And you go, like, that person's assumed something about this person. Um, or, we, or we assume, you know, in a church, we assume that everyone believes the same thing as us, So we assume that everyone votes the same way or everyone has the same perspective on certain issues. And I think that being truly inclusive is actually not making very many or any assumptions about people because the person that you're talking to, you know, you might be really passionate about uh, youth suicide. And so you're talking about it just openly and passionately. And yet somebody who's in the room has a personal lived experience of that. So kind of, I think inclusivity is about being really sensitive to the fact that in any room, there's going to be people with real lived experiences of almost anything under the sun. So we need to speak sensitively. 100%. It's just that tricky balance. So you want to, I think sometimes you want to be able to foster an environment that is welcoming with people that have that experience, but you want to do it without being insensitive. And that's quite a tension as well. Cause you want it to be something that they can talk about if they want to. Yeah. So yeah. you need to somehow acknowledge that without being insensitive. And that's the tricky balance i think yeah we haven't really used the word safe yet i think that that's a big thing is creating a safe place safe space so that if someone was to talk about that you know they're not going to be judged or they're not going to be kicked out or they're not going to be suddenly looked at differently yeah yeah Mm. i think assumptions actually i think assumptions not just this but everything i think assumptions can do that to every kind of area of life really yeah it's quite they're quite dangerous especially i don't know like i know that i come to church i'm and i'm either ministry or my a lay person and, um, you know, I have my flaws, but mm. if someone new comes in and I talk to them and they are, they are seeing you as the church. So you need to maybe consider how you interact and things mm. you might assume. And mm. yeah, I don't know. Mm. What do you think of the concept of self care, Nathan? And of, you know, when, when you are being inclusive, you're being sensitive to other people, you're suddenly opening up room. What do you think about habits and, and rhythms in your life to make sure that you are healthy enough to be able to care for other people. I think self-care is important. I also think that my experience of the way that a lot of people act, at least with inside the church, is that we probably weight self-care slightly too more important than what we really should. I feel like either people are like too focused on self-care and they're like, got to make sure it's safe and good for me. Mm. Or you get other people who are like, do a really poor job of self-care because they're just trying to help people and then don't focus on themselves at all, which can seem good, but at the same time, then they end up burning out and not being actually very helpful to people because mm. they're not doing so from a place of strength. Churches are interesting, I think. We always think like, oh, we want to be inclusive and stuff, but I find churches are probably then really good at being like really 
exclusive and not inclusive at all. We can very easily just be like, oh, we get into groups in churches of people who are like really good friends and that's great and we have might have some community there. But then and not necessarily so great about if there's other people in having them as part of it as well. It's kind of like we've got our church thing and we're kind of pretty comfortable there. And mm. we do that. We have great community, whatever. But then like the new person who comes along, it's like, well, cool that you came, but, you know, we're sort of doing our thing here. If you notice, like, say, a new person that comes that might come to church or something, you want to provide an inclusive environment and you see, you see someone new and you go, mm, maybe I could talk to that person and see, see what's up with them. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like even, even myself, it's like, you sort of, you see them walk in and you kind of, you do a little quick judgment on like, mm, do I think, are they like, I don't know, close enough to my demographic that I feel like I can talk to them. Mm. But then at the same time, it's like, if there was someone in a very different demographic to me, then maybe it's better off me not talking to them because someone else at church would engage with them better because otherwise I might come across as being overly creepy or strange. Yeah which maybe is not inclusive either. But so you, you go and you try and talk to someone, but then at the same time you're thinking, oh, this person I'm talking to, it's like, am I just going to like talk to them this week? And then like next week they come and it's like, well, I talked to them last week, don't need to talk to them this week, so mm. I'm set. And I just go back to talking to my other friends. Is that being inclusive? It's like, well, I talked to them the first week they came, but then after that I kind of gave up on them. But then if I'm going to do more than that, it's like this person I go talk to the first t- the first week they come to a church – they might have moved or come from a different church or maybe they're not a Christian at all. Who knows? I don't know. By talking to them one, that one time, am I now committing to like having to like engage in like the a besties. relationship and be best, best friends with them for like the rest of my life? Like that's like a big commitment for me. Yeah. And I, like, I don't know if I want to do that, but at the same time, like what if there's, what if I want them to feel like they're included, but I was mm. like, I don't want to include them almost mm-hmm. or there's, there's like that tension between like i want this person to feel included but at the same time it's like i don't personally want to commit to actually including them. <laughs> i want them included but i don't want to be the the uh driving force in that it's challenging though because i think that if everyone went up to a new person on a sunday that'd be, be too much it'd be well. way too much and i think that sometimes we either don't talk to people enough or we get into that framework of everyone talks to someone new. And if that was me, I'd be like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that's like... Too much. You- like, I don't, I just, how, you just need to be so... You need to be intentional, but you need to also be, like, genuine in it. Like, I think that... I think it's the difference between, like, trying to tick a brownie... Like, trying to tick a box or get brownie points. Yeah, and you know, you know when you've been welcomed somewhere, kind of because you're, like, you know, a box to tick. Yeah. That, that's different to... Um, when someone is, they actually have a heart and a posture of inclusivity. Yeah. Where they're not going to go out of their way, um, awkwardly, but if they're, if you're in their proximity, then they're going to actually, like, it, it almost oozes out of them, yeah. kind of a welcoming nature. But then um, I feel like sometimes it's like, you don't want to be awkward and stuff, but sometimes it's like, well, I don't really know what to say to them and it's just going to be really awkward. And then it's like, I don't know what they think like when this random person comes up to them and is like, hey, and then doesn't know what to say and is just really awkward for the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like, do they find that to be like inclusive? Because like, you know, being genuine, this person doesn't really know what they're doing mm-hmm. or are they like, who is this crazy person? Why am I here? This, this guy's a creep. <laughs> <laughs> On an unrelated note. You were very welcoming to us when we first came to Narara, uh, you know, close to four years ago now. I remember the very first week we came talking to you and, uh, and you multiple weeks in a row talking to us. So then I kind of just gave up on you. I was like, yeah. Then we, we probably need to wrap up, but one thing I think it's worth just quickly touching on because we didn't really get to is, um, a part of creating a safe and inclusive space is necessarily being uh, aware of minimizing certain risks mm. and that that's a reality of the conversation but it's also a tension um, because if you want to be a super inclusive space then you actually do have to exclude potential risks and predators and people that are actually going to come in and disrupt that space yeah. and that's that's a reality some people are toxic in their behavior and it's, it doesn't mean that there's no hope for that person to heal, but at the same time, certain behaviors are actually going to ruin the inclusive space. 
that you're trying to create. Yeah. If you want to include those people, you tend to need to do it in a more specialized way. It takes a bit of work. I think what's hard is, and for me, one of the big questions in this whole conversation is I used to go out in, in back in Canberra to, to the youth detention center often and hang out with the young guys in there and do a little alternative church service. And our little team, we used to ask the question, if one of these guys got out and then came to our actual church on a Sunday, would they be welcomed? Or would everyone freak out? Mm -hmm. And for me, that question is particularly tricky because what happens is that young person may no longer be a threat or a risk. Do you know? Yeah. It's it's quite possible that they got locked up for something that was um, not actually threatening in that kind of environment. And they've been through a period of, of working on that and change. But what happens is when they come into a church environment, they may still be treated as a threat and a risk which is going to make them more likely in a way to feel excluded and exclusion can lead to destructive behaviors like that's so it's a tricky cycle right like yeah, yeah. someone who's behaving in a way that's destructive is probably doing so because they've been socially isolated and excluded and haven't had the opportunity to be integrated into loving relationships and yet that cycle is hard to break and I don't have an answer to that, and I don't think we have time to fully go into that. But I want to leave that there as maybe where you can continue the conversation if you're listening. How, how do we create spaces that are genuinely welcoming to those who have experienced exclusion and isolation? How do we integrate those people in a way that is genuinely loving as well as being safe? It might be tricky and messy, but I think it's worth, we, we have to work out how we do that kind of thing. Yeah. Because really, I think that's the role of, of Christ followers is to go to the marginalized and excluded and bring them back into right relationships and back into into family. So on that note, do you guys want to share a final thought? Yeah, I guess I want to finish off by saying all of these things we're talking about, I still have many questions about, so I very much haven't worked out how it is. And I don't know if I will, who knows? But I think I just want to encourage myself and anyone listening I think it's important to be intentional about your interactions with people, but I think that you're looking after self-care is very important. So you need to take space for yourself and for yourself and Jesus. And yeah. um, I think that when I was younger, and I think a lot of Christians do this, we think that to be like Jesus, we have to love everyone and be in relationship with everyone. But sometimes the best way to love other people is if, if especially if they're toxic or for you or it's an unhealthy setting, is that you can love them from a distance. You don't have to be best friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. You've got Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you can be clear about what is good and you can love them for who they are, but you don't have to put yourself in a dangerous setting all the time. Totally. That's my, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Being inclusive is something that is always going to be something that you have to think about and work towards. And that's going to take real effort to do. It's not going to be the easiest course of action. Yeah. I think as soon as you think we've arrived, we're inclusive. You're probably leaving somebody out. (laughs) Yeah. So I like that idea of it's a work in progress, but it's one that, if we're committed to, then that's such an important thing to be constantly working towards. So to anyone listening who's ever had an experience of being excluded by, by a church, by people that claim to be following Jesus, we, um, we're sorry you've had that experience. Mm. And I guess it's our hope that the spaces we create um, and, and the spaces we create by even doing this podcast would be places that seek to bring people back into uh, good relationships rather than, than damaging ones. So, till next time, thank you, Mitch Rogers. Thank you. Thank you, everyone out there listening and, and sharing the podcast and, and spreading the love.